Okay, before we get started with today's episode, have you heard the awesome news? Llama Life now has an iOS app so you can take it with you wherever you go. I have been using Llama Life consistently on my computer for a year now. A year! That's unprecedented. That's like a lifetime in ADHD terms. And now with the new iOS app, I'm able to seamlessly transition between my computer and my iPhone so that my favorite little productivity coach is with me whenever I need it. So what is so special about Llama Life? Well, for starters, it's not a fancy new calendar or planner or complicated productivity management system. It's a time-boxing, single-tasking program that easily integrates with your already existing organizational systems. If you're like me and you struggle with time blindness or maintaining focus throughout your day, then this is the app for you. I love Llama Life because it's simple, effective, and beautifully designed. And dare I say, it makes even the most mundane chore more fun and colorful. If you want to check out the iOS app for yourself, head to the App Store for a free trial and start enjoying that Llama Life for yourself. If you're just looking at behavior, people look lazy or they look like they're not, you know, they don't want to pay attention. And that's not the truth. And so I think that sometimes I feel like we could just throw the word behavior out and stop like talking about behavior by itself without recognizing like what's happening. And behavior is a signal of something deeper, you know? So it's kind of annoying sometimes when ADHD is like called a like behavioral, neurobehavioral thing. Mm -hmm. It's It's not behavior. It's what's happening in our brain that makes it look like behavior. Hello and welcome to the Women and ADHD podcast. I'm your host, Katie Weber. I was diagnosed with ADHD at the age of 45, and it completely turned my world upside down. I've been looking back at so much of my life, school, jobs, my relationships, all of it with this new lens, and it has been nothing short of overwhelming. I quickly discovered I was not the only woman to have this experience, and now I interview other women who, like me, discovered in adulthood they have ADHD and are finally feeling like they understand who they are and how to best lean into their strengths, both professionally and personally. Welcome back to my special Top 10 Replay series, where I am re-releasing 10 interviews that really stood out to me and have stayed with me in some particular way, either because of the topic or the conversation or the feedback I received from listeners like you. These are 10 episodes that I feel deserve a replay. So if you missed this one the first time around, you'll get a chance to hear it now. Or if you listened to it when it originally aired, I hope you'll enjoy listening to it again and stick around because at the end we will check back in for an update. This week I'm re-releasing my interview with Anna Lopez, which originally aired as episode 29 in April of 2021. This interview with Anna was transformative for me in many ways. I think because Anna was the first psychotherapist I got to interview for the podcast, and so I had so many questions, and she was just game for all of them. I was particularly interested in her perspective about diagnosis and her thoughts on the recent increase in diagnoses in adult women. Plus, Anna is so interesting and brilliant, and she has so much curiosity and thoughtfulness. This episode just felt like a no-brainer to add to the list. And make sure to stick around, because at the end of the episode, I get to check back in with Anna to talk about the work she's doing now, especially her somatic therapy work. We also discussed the fact that since this episode aired, we have both self-identified as autistic. So we discussed the parallels in terms of self-diagnosis versus formal diagnosis when it comes to autism. Okay, so as part of my top 10 replay series, I give you episode 29 with Anna Lopez. 
I was so blown away by this conversation with Anna that I remember afterwards I ended up bursting out of my recording room and running outside in circles because like my brain was so full and so stimulated that I didn't know what else to do but just run around. Anna is a psychiatric physician assistant with a master's in counseling. And according to Anna, she would marry psychology if she could. Anna noticed that as an adult, she always felt quote unquote, unanchored. And at age 33, she finally got an ADHD diagnosis, which has been empowering for her. She lives in Austin, Texas with her two little handsome boys. And she says she would live off chai lattes if she could. And she is true crime obsessed. So I was super excited to hear Anna's opinions on a lot of issues, especially her thoughts on medical diagnoses of ADHD and why some of us resist medication. And I just loved her perspective on pretty much everything. She's fantastic. And so I will stop rambling and just get on with this episode. Enjoy. Thank you for uh, joining me today, Anna, and I was so excited to discover you when you were having a Instagram live chat with Elizabeth Brink, and I was just riveted, and um, I love your perspective and just wanted to, an excuse to pick your brain a little more and to get to know you more, so. (laughs) Yeah, I love it. Um, So I will open with my first opening question that I'll ask all of my guests, which is kind of what, how long ago were you diagnosed with ADHD and what kind of led up to your diagnosis? What were some of those signs that led to um, actually looking into this more? Yeah. So I was diagnosed last year. So I feel like a lot of people were diagnosed through the pandemic, which completely makes sense. Right. This is a very crazy time. But yeah, I was diagnosed at 33. I'm still 33. And you know, I can't even remember exactly when I was diagnosed. That's ADHD for you. And also living in a pandemic for a year. Like, well, I don't even know like what today is. So I think I was like diagnosed in May or June of 2020, like officially. And really how it came about, which is crazy because I work in psychiatry, right? Like I had people who told me who they've had ADHD. I knew what the symptoms were. I knew what the DSM-5 said, but the symptoms didn't really tell me like what that looked like in a person. And so I didn't know how to like attach that to like a person. Like what, what do you experience as an adult or even as a kid with ADHD? Like I know they say kids are bounce off the wall or whatever, but like truly what does that look like in day-to-day life? I had no idea. And so the reason I started looking into it actually was for my husband because my therapist was like, I think you might have ADHD. And like for a long time, I just kind of dismissed it or I looked into it a little bit for him, but I didn't really think much of it. And then I was like, I do this thing where I go on the Amazon app and I just like on a rabbit hole of like going, looking at books and like clicking on them. I don't buy them, but I just like kind of do window shopping, internet window shopping (laughs) for books and like counseling books and psychology books because I love books on like trauma and whatever. And so I was like reading different descriptions and one came up about like ADHD and relationships and like the difficulties people have with uh, relationships when there's a partner or both partners have ADHD. And I was like, this is a thing. And so like that kind of just opened up the doors for me where I was like, wait a second, I don't really understand what ADHD looks like. Really? Like if I truly think about it, I don't know what that is. And so I was trying to find examples of what does a person look like when they have ADHD. And so I was like looking at YouTube videos, I was reading articles and I was just like going all over. And while I was reading it, I was like, oh my God, this sounds like me. And it like kind of was not 
good because I was trying to like, <laughs> I was trying to like diagnose my husband, right? Like, haha, this is what's going on with you. But then I was like, wait a minute. I feel like I relate to a lot of these things. And then, but it started to make sense because me and my husband have a lot of this, like similar issues, you know, and I've spent years trying to like figure out how to help myself remember not to leave my lunch at home. Like I just packed it. How do I leave my lunch at home? You know, how do I remember my badge for work? How, you know, all these things. And he was dealing with a lot of the same issues. And so I was trying to help him figure out how to help, help, help him remember these things. Cause like, I always had to like figure out how to help myself do these things. Right. And I was like, okay, this makes sense. Like I relate because we probably have the same diagnosis. I just, yeah, I went on this like hyper-focused trail for like weeks, just trying to figure out like, what's ADHD? Do I have this? Do I not have this? And I was like, I just need to go talk to someone who understands ADHD. And so I found a provider and like made an appointment immediately. And that's basically it. That's how I found out. And it is definitely, I'm sure a lot of people probably relate, but when you first are diagnosed, you're like, it's just like this wave of grief because you're just like, wow, this, all of these things that I've struggled with in my life makes so much more sense now. I thought it was just me. I thought it was a, my problem. I needed to fix it. And I didn't realize like, no, this is just the way that my brain is wired. So that's kind of how I got there. And it's not even just these things like, oh, these memes are relatable because I also forget my keys. I mean, there is that sort of element, but then once you start to really realize like how far reaching it is and how Mm -hmm. much of it goes into that, like I I remember um, Rachel Morgan Trimmer, I interviewed her recently and she was talking about, you know, that she calls it piece of shit syndrome, you know, where you're just like, (laughs) that feeling of like where you, it it almost like you never were able to consciously think about how far reaching this was and how far reaching mm-hmm. that feeling of like inadequacy and brokenness existed in your life because we were working mm-hmm. so hard. We didn't have the time or the words or the vocabulary to even really kind of label this. And then I think that yeah. is so much of that grief is like realizing, oh my goodness, is it, is it possible that all of this comes back to this one diagnosis. Like that is mind blowing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. It really is. And it's just like, and you know, it would be one thing if like you didn't have a diagnosis, but you just learn how to accept your quirks and like, ah, oh, this is just how my brain, you know, this is just how I am. But like, I always was like, I can do better. I like, why do I keep forgetting? Like, why do I keep doing, you know, like you just keep going, like, I should be able to do this. Other people do this. Why am I not able to do this? And it's just like, And then you realize, oh, like, this is actually a thing. Like, this is my brain. And it is true. Like, you work so hard. You're working so hard. You're so tired. And everyone says they're tired. But, like, you're, like, crawling on the floor when you get home, you know, because you're just exhausted from trying to fit in and mask. And you have, yeah, you have no idea because that your brain is wired differently than your other coworkers, the other students in your master's program and all this stuff. It just... It's just mind blowing to know that you like went this long without knowing or like being able to have accommodations or being able to just be able to accept that things work differently for you. It's just crazy. Yeah. I remember going to my husband and I both had strep throat and he was complaining and complaining and complaining about how much it hurt. And I was like, yes, my, my 
my throat also hurts, but I think you're being a little like man coldish about it. And, <laughs> and we went to the doctor and we both had our throats swabbed and he was just like, would not let up about how terrible it was. And the, and, and the technician was like, yeah, hers is actually way worse. And it was just like this moment of objective, like validation that I was that, you know, it's like when you hear somebody complaining about a headache and there's always that part of you that wants to switch bodies to be like, is it as bad as you say it is? Or yeah, right? do, or do I just complain less? And it was like this moment of, of validation where I was like, no, you just complain less. But I think it's that same thing of like not being able to have a gauge when it comes to struggling. Like, is this normal struggle? Am I struggling Mm -hmm. harder? Am I working harder? I don't know. Like we don't have those answers and we desperately need them when it comes to like defining ourselves, I think probably more. Yeah, sure. And it's just so funny. Like, I don't know if I would have gone to a psychiatrist, you know, eventually and have figured it out if it wasn't for this whole pathway through like my therapist and Amazon apps and stuff. But it's so funny because like probably a year or two before my diagnosis, you know, I'm working in psychiatry I'm seeing people who have like bipolar disorder and I'm like thinking I have similar symptoms to mania, but I know I don't have bipolar disorder, but like I can like be very hyperactive and I can't stop moving. And, and, you know, and I I actually made an appointment or I was going to make an appointment to see a psychiatrist. And then when I got off the wait list and I could make an appointment, I was like, you know what? I think I'm okay. I don't need to make one. And it's like so funny because it's like, I could have had the diagnosis a year or two earlier, but at the same time, it's like, would I really have accepted it or understood it then, you know? Yeah. So it's almost like I got to it when I needed to, because I actually was curious to understand what does this mean? What does this look like? Yeah. It, that is also fascinating to me because it was suggested to me by my therapist for like two years um, mm-hmm. that I had ADHD. And I was sort of like, huh, interesting. I must look into that at some point. Like it didn't like land with me. Yeah. until the pandemic when I really just like imploded. And then, and then she kind of, pressed me to like, you, you should look into this in terms of like, you should look into treating this, but I still don't really know like when that switch went off for me from kind of being like, yeah, maybe I do, maybe I don't to, oh my goodness, this changes freaking everything. And, and there's a light at the end. And it's like this three-step process. There's sort of like, there's the, oh my goodness, this is me. I'm relating to this. And then there's the self-diagnosis part where you're sort of like, yeah, this is definitely something I need to look into. Like, I definitely Mm -hmm. have this. I need a doctor's confirmation. And then there's the doctor diagnosis, you know? So it's like these steps. But I still don't really know what what was that like solitary moment where I switched over from like, huh, interesting Mm -hmm. literature to like, oh my God, this defines me in every fiber of my being. Yeah, it's crazy. But I think like that is just, I feel like that's a human experience with a lot of things, especially if like when I was doing my internship in counseling, because I also have my master's in counseling. And when I was doing my internship, you know, you can say things to somebody you can like, or even people can like your, your clients can say stuff to you too. Like they can say, they can have some insight to something, but they really, it doesn't really click with them. And it can take weeks, months, years before that really clicks. Like they're talking about these things, but they really don't get it at a deeper level for such a long time. And it's just, that's just how we evolve. I don't know. But I think like every step though, every time your therapist said something or every time my therapist said something, it really does help kind of like solidify it a little bit more to be like, wait a second, I need to like think about what she's saying a little bit like more or, or what does this actually really truly mean? Like, 
you need all of those tiny little steps to finally kind of let it click, I think. So when you were talking about the bipolar, I feel like I definitely related more to that idea before I was diagnosed. And I think I feel like I've heard that from other guests as well, because there is that kind of swing from hyperfocus to like depression and lethargy and, and self-deprecation or whatever you want to call that state, you know, but it was that, it was that drastic swinging of the pendulum that made yeah. me think, that I'm much more related to a possible bipolar uh, diagnosis than ADHD because of the whole, you know, the hyperactivity part. I was like, I'm not hyperactive. Mm -hmm. I spend, I will literally spend days in bed (laughs) staring at my phone, doom scrolling. I can't possibly have ADHD. Yeah. Yeah. It was just weird because it's like, yeah, I understood the bipolar disorder, you know, diagnosis a little bit more just because like I work in psychiatry. So I was like, I don't feel like, I don't think I have bipolar disorder. Cause I don't have these like episodes of like hyperactivity for like three or four days or anything. And like my depression wasn't like, I've, you know, struggled with depression, but like, even when it was treated, I had like a physical depression. Like I just don't have the motivation to do things. Mm-hmm. Like I don't feel like getting up. And it was just, I would call it physical depression, but I didn't realize it was that kind of like, I don't know that I wouldn't, what do you call it in ADHD? Just like that negative movement. Like you just, you're okay. We're just sitting around or even you want to get up, but you just can't. So you're just like, yeah, it's like a, it's like a bodily shutdown, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I feel like heard it described as, as like walking through mud. I've described it as like walking around in a foot of water, like there, but there's just something where it's like you slow down and it's like everything just shuts down. Like it feels like you're under, it feels like you're underwater. Yeah. I had a, um, a doctor once call it when I was depressed, she called it like, it feels like you're moving through jello. Mm -hmm. I'm like, yeah, yeah, basically. Feels like that. It's like I'm trying to get everything done, but I'm moving through jello. Yeah. It's, it's not easy. <laughs> so looking back, as I was also I'm I'm very I'm fairly newly diagnosed. I was diagnosed in the fall, but again, it was sort of like I don't remember the whole last year was a blur. Like I don't remember when it was mm-hmm. that my therapist suggestions turned into me really sort of hyper-focusing on it and and becoming more interested in it. But I didn't actually get the official doctor diagnosis until end of October. And, and it's funny because I, you know, I'm so, so many women who I've reached out to, to interview and say, I'm not officially diagnosed. I'm self-diagnosed. Is that okay? You know, especially women in the Mm -hmm. UK and in Europe where it could take years to get a doctor's appointment. And, And there's this sense of like, how important is it to have a doctor's diagnosis? Because I feel like my journey began long before I got the doctor's diagnosis. And I feel like so much Mm -hmm. of ADHD and so much of treating ADHD is really just knowing you have it and then doing the work that, or, or knowing what work to do, you know, like it's, and, and yes, there is the medication side of it. And there is the, you know, you need the doctor to get the medication, but mm-hmm. going to the doctor is like, so, it's such a hurdle on so many levels. Medication is such a hurdle on so many levels. It's so cost prohibitive for so many mm-hmm. people. And like, I'm curious with, from your background in the psychiatric field, like what is the importance of having a doctor's diagnosis? Cause I certainly felt like I needed it. I needed the doctor to tell me because otherwise I would have second guessed myself my whole life because that's what we do. Mm-hmm. We don't trust ourselves, yeah, but it, for sure. but I also felt like so much of the work 
has starts well before you get to the doctor's office. And so many of us know more about ADHD than our medical providers by the time we get to that diagnosis and prescription. So I'm, I sort of like, where does that fit in the kind of hierarchy of needs? Yeah, I feel like it, I feel like it depends on the person. (laughs) That's such a like, mental health answer. It depends. (laughs) Um, But it's really does. Like it depends on the person. Like some people really like to have a name, a label to like really understand what's going on so that they can like dive deep in, figure it out, figure out what treatments will help, what interventions will help, you know, how to go about doing anything extra like therapy or even like what foods will be better for me or, you know what I mean? Like some people really need that. And some people don't truly need it. And they're just like, I think I have it. Like, I'm pretty sure just from what I can remember from my childhood and what I'm dealing with now. And they're just trying to find supports online or in person to help them. And so I think it depends on the person. I think like, again, also depends on the, like the environment. So if you're living in a place where that's not very accessible, but it would help you to just like navigate the world a little bit better to have more accommodations in you know, at school or at work, it would make sense to have a diagnosis. But that's like changing a whole like society though. Like, yeah. cause I know that I think in, in France, like it's not really, they just think it's like a, a dis, like a disorder for young boys, you know? So it's really hard to like get a diagnosis as an adult, especially as a female adult. And that, sucks. And a lot of people want that or need that because it would be helpful to them so that they can actually like be more successful in what they're doing because people just don't understand what they're dealing with. And so, yeah, I just feel like it depends on the person, depends on your environment. If you actually need an official diagnosis, I had some other thoughts, but I'm trying to think what they were. (laughs) That's a good point about getting, you know, feeling like you're better able to advocate, especially for yourself or for your kids. I mean, obviously like having Mm -hmm. a diagnosis so that you get a 504 for your child is important and that sort of thing, like sort of legitimizing something. I just feel like there's so many ways in which the medical community talks about the dangers of misdiagnosing or like, maybe it's not ADHD, maybe it's one of these other factors. And then they list factors that are symptoms of ADHD, you know, like maybe it's not ADHD, maybe it's just anxiety. And I'm like, if you're not able to see that correlation, then I need a second opinion. Like it's so nuanced, right? Like, because a lot of, I mean, again, like with the whole mania thing or depression thing, like a lot, they're all, similar symptoms. We call them the same things, but they look different depending on what you struggle with. So yes, you can have anxiety with ADHD, but anxiety and ADHD are going to look different. So it's like also having a competent provider who can actually figure out which one is it, or is it both, you know, because a lot of people with ADHD have anxiety, like they can either, the anxiety is because of the ADHD or they can be two separate things. And so you really have to know someone, have a provider who's good at like the nuances of, okay, which, what is it? And also it's very common to have like um, comorbid bipolar disorder and ADHD. And so you have to know, have a provider who knows how to tell the difference in those things. You know, it's difficult because it is disorders or it is like things that are happening in the brain. Sometimes we have behaviors, but it, it's not as simple as like being able to like 
diagnose high blood pressure? No. Right. Where you can just take someone's blood pressure three times and be like, you have high blood pressure. We need to like put you on some medication. And so that's the frustrating thing in a way about ADHD and a lot of like other psychiatric disorders, because you really do need someone who's competent. And also it just can be very nuanced and difficult. And sometimes it takes me, it takes me a while to be able to see if my patient, like if I have a patient actually has ADHD, like I actually have a patient, I'm like, ADHD or, you know, dissociative disorder, or maybe both, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. but really when it comes down to it, it's, can we find medications that are helpful for you? Can we find interventions like therapy that are helpful for you? So even if the diagnosis isn't perfect, are we helping you? Are you getting better? Are you improving? And so I think that's like something that we kind of have to remember sometimes that it is nuanced. Sometimes you have to change your diagnosis. It happens in psychiatry all the time. Someone you think has bipolar disorder, but psychosis actually has schizoaffective disorder, bipolar type. It's just like, it happens all the time. And I think we need to be okay with switching. I think some doctors are so rigid and are like, no, this is what you're diagnosed with, that they don't want to switch. And we also need to just like almost sometimes get away from like the label and recognize the symptoms and think holistically what would be helpful for this person. What kind of medications would be helpful? What and it's not just medication wise, like what also will be helpful, like therapy, you know, nutrition, exercise, whatever. This episode is brought to you by Loop Earplugs. Loop earplugs are my ultimate companion to a calmer and more focused life. If you're also an adult with ADHD, autism, or sensory issues, rest assured Loop earplugs are designed with us in mind. Whether you're at your favorite coffee shop or in your office cubicle or simply at home with your kids, with their advanced noise reduction technology, Loop earplugs gently lower the volume without blocking out the world completely. They're made from soft, hypoallergenic materials that are comfortable for extended wear. They fit snugly in your ears, ensuring you can wear them discreetly throughout the day. Plus, they come with a sleek carrying case, making them convenient to take with you wherever you go. Now that I'm in grad school, I love to use the Engage Plus loops whenever I'm walking around campus. They're specifically designed to reduce the level of sound entering my ear without completely blocking out all noise. My teenager loves her quiet loops for studying, and my son loves his Engage Kids loops for short intervals like riding the school bus or taking tests at school. As a listener of this podcast, you'll get 10% off your order when you visit loopearplugs.com slash womenADHD. That's loopearplugs.com slash womenADHD, and you can find that link in the episode show notes. Your life, your volume. That's one thing I like about the neurodivergent community and how interested they are in themselves and their brains and and the way that we're always questioning that stuff. You know, like I, I love thinking about neurodivergence mm-hmm. as just this like conveyor belt or that, you know, this is like spectrum and everything is interrelated on some level and things just kind of pop mm-hmm. up and pop and then go back and then they pop up and then you have like a baby and different things come out, you know, <laughs> like there's so much of it, like you said, is nuanced. And, and so I'm getting kind of confused by this backlash against misdiagnosis, you know, because I sort of feel like this is not a medical condition. Like you said, like, this is not a blood pressure issue. This is not a medical condition that could be like, you clearly need 
a medical professional who can lead you through the proper medication and et cetera. Like this neurodivergence mm. that can be treated in so many ways. And sometimes I feel like the, if there's a backlash against the, the, if, if you start to bring in this fear that you can somehow misdiagnose yourself when so many of us feel like this is the first time in our lives, we feel hope, you know, that we aren't this broken person. Yeah. There's this backlash against self-diagnosis. Like, I just don't understand why that backlash is there because it feels to me like aware, mm-hmm. self-awareness is part of the treatment, you know? And so yeah. like, why right. is there this feeling of like, oh, too many people are saying they have ADHD these days. And I'm like, that is great. If we could change society and realize that it's not 5% of people, but maybe way more, you know, like I think, way thing. I think it's way more too. I really think it's way more than like the four or five percent. But then again, remember, like a lot of people are not diagnosed through their whole life, right? So yeah, exactly. Or later, later in life, so it's way more than the four or five percent. I'm pretty sure. But um, and and if you treat yourself like you have ADHD by bringing more structure in your life or exercising, like these are all good things that will benefit anybody. The things that benefit people with ADHD benefit everybody. So uh, that's the other thing. I feel like there's not a lot of harm in accidentally thinking you have ADHD. So why is there this backlash? Yeah. And you know, I go about it with patients saying like, look, it's just as important to rule it out as it is to rule it in. So if you end up not actually having it, this thing that we're screening for, that's fine. We're really just trying to have a better idea of what's going on. So if you accidentally, yeah, like if you accidentally diagnose yourself with ADHD and you figure out things that are help you to be more successful in life and you're not able to access a doctor or medications, like I don't really understand the harm. I think there's just like this like elitist attitude in medical community. And I think it's more, I love doctors. Okay. I'm not a doctor. I'm a BA, but I think it's more with the doctor community than like the PAs or the NPs. It's just a cultural aspect of doctors, especially in the U.S. I don't really, I can't speak for doctors other in other places, but it's just like, we, we are the experts. We know we're the ones who are supposed to be diagnosed. You can't diagnose yourself. And I, I don't know. I don't know exactly how that comes about. I'd like to look into the history of that more now. I'm cu- I'm curious. Right. Well, I think I think um, there is a, that cautionary feeling of like it's a slippery slope when people start going to Doctor Google or whatever they call it. You know, like the the web the rise of web. Yeah, like, sure. I get when it comes to medical conditions that this is a dangerous slippery slope. I just don't feel like. ADHD falls into that category. And maybe the medical community is like, it's too dangerous to try to allow some things and not others. So we're just going to, we're just going to say no to everything. But that is such a neurotypical response. Like you think about schools, right? Mm -hmm. That is how schools discipline children, which is like one kid is acting out. So nobody gets recess. And you're like, what is wrong with you? Yeah. (laughs) So anyway, that's my little soapbox. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I hear you. And I think like that is something that I've thought about. Like, you know, I've, I've worked in different areas of medicine and like family medicine and pediatrics, especially parents will come to be like, my kid has this. And I'm like, okay, I'm trying to hear you. and like, understands and we'll, I'll look into it. I'll ask the questions. And then, you know, if I do everything, we do all the tests, we do all the exams and the questions and everything. And I think they don't have it. And I tell them that they're not happy with that answer. 
And so I think that there's some like, there's a bad taste in the medical community's mouth sometimes because people who don't, are not, don't have great health literacy come to us and say, hey, I have this, I have this. And you're like, no, you don't even have close to any of the symptoms of it, you know? And so I think that there's, I think that there's some validity and in the medical community, not liking people self-diagnosing, but also there is a sense that we do have more information about things out there to, and we are in our own brains. So it's like, we, you think we would know a little bit about what's going on mm. um, with us. So I don't know, it's, it's, it's a catch 22 and I, and I'm, I'm a part of both, right? Like I see mental health providers and I also am a mental health provider. And so, so I can see both sides of it, know. you know, but I think like the, the approach, I feel like doctors should take more just medical professionals in general, like listen, hear, validate, like, you know, why do you think that, you know, and then do what you can to like help them either confirm or deny what's going on with them. You know, I have patients who tell me like, I think I have autism and part of me wants to be like, no, no, you don't. But then I'm like, wait a second, I don't know enough to say that they don't. Like, I have to stop myself and be like, let's look into it. Let's ask more questions or let's get you referred to someone who can like actually look into that more. Mm. And so you can actually have a yes or no answer if that really matters to you. And so it it does take you to like step back and just be like, wait a second, let me not just like, let me not just invalidate a whole person just because I am the expert, you know? Like I went to grad school and spent $70,000 on something. It doesn't mean that they're wrong. Right. So. Yeah. Interesting. I know it's not, I, I wanted your perspective so much because I knew that you were going to have the, that like dual perspective, but I, it's also, mm. I don't think it's a question that can be answered in an hour, in an hour on some random person's yeah, podcast. It's, it's complicated, but I think that there's validity in both sides for sure. I think it just takes humility on both sides and it just takes advocate. Also, I I'm really being into like patient advocacy, adv, advocating. So like I really want patients to be able to advocate and push for what they deserve as patients. Yeah. You know, you deserve good care. You deserve answers. You deserve to like bring up questions and not be thought that you're stupid for asking these questions or thinking that you might have something. So, right. Exactly. And I think self-advocacy is already difficult enough for somebody mm-hmm. who is, who has had ADHD or is, or is seeking out a diagnosis. So it's, that's why I think this subject gets me so frustrated because I feel like, like, are why are you not acknowledging the overwhelming mental and fiscal hurdles that people face getting to a dice, a state of diagnosis? Like, why can't we kind of mm-hmm. include that in this journey? Yeah, for sure. Backtracking a little bit. What are some of the things looking back over your life or in your childhood, especially that you, that you look back and you think, Oh, of course that was, that was clearly the ADHD. Yeah. yeah so when I like went through the whole grief period of realizing I probably had ADHD, like I just remember like a lot of my core memories as a kid, cause I don't remember a lot of things. And I think that's an ADHD things like are like these negative memories. And I think they had some ADHD element in it. Like there's just one time in the fifth grade, I remember exactly that it was the fifth grade too. We we're split up into these groups trying to do this history project or answer these questions on this history thing. And I got overwhelmed. Like everyone's talking in the room. Everyone's trying to figure this thing out in my group. And like, 
you know, I was a bright kid. Like I got things I did really well in school, but like that whole element of working in a group and trying to figure something out, something out right now, just like shut me down. And I just put my head down on the desk the whole time. Everyone else was figuring out this project or these questions. And I didn't participate. I couldn't like, it was too much for me. Like it was too overwhelming. And now I'm like, Oh, okay. That makes a lot of sense. Like I've never been able to do group work, like group studying, like people can get concepts a lot faster than me. And so I'm like very behind and I'm like, I I'm, I'm not following. I'm not, I'm not catching on. And so like, I would do worse on a, on a test if I group studied because I wasn't keeping up with what everybody else was doing. So I was very much an individual studier all the time. What were some other things? Oh, just like in college, I'd rather go, like if someone was like, Hey, let's go run around outside at midnight. It's like, okay, now go do that. And then instead of like studying or whatever, I just have a hard time making myself study. Like I need to study. I need to get up. I need to do this. And I just couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. And it would get to the point where it's like, I'm almost about to fail these, this science class and I'm a science major. So I like have to banish myself to the library for hours a day just to make myself study, just to get myself to study. I didn't realize that was ADHD. Like, no, like had no idea. I just thought that I was a terrible student. You know, like my parents were like, you need to do better. Why aren't you doing better? And I had no idea that like me foregoing studying for fun or like having such a hard time making myself study was a thing. And also I just like, I, I think I daydreamed a lot. I really don't know. <laughs> Probably. I think I like would read ahead in the books. So I wasn't really paying attention to the teachers ever. I got the concepts fast. And so, you know, I would just read ahead and just fill out my worksheets and not pay attention. I just had a hard time paying attention in class, especially in college and trying to keep up again with concepts. And so in science class, I'm like, I have no idea what they're talking about. And I'm just pretending like I'm writing notes, understanding, and I don't know anything. I don't know what's going on. Yeah. It's just a lot of, a lot of that, a lot of that, of not understand, like feeling behind. And I've always been very more behind in math stuff too. Like I do okay in math, but it just takes me a lot longer. And I didn't realize that was a thing. Like I had a teacher actually, I think in the fifth grade too, like she had to keep me behind at recess to teach me something. And like, I, like I said, I usually did really well in most everything. And for her to have to keep me behind to make sure I understood some math concept meant that I was not getting it or I zoned out when she was teaching it or something for her to like keep me behind at recess to make sure I understood it. So that was no deal. <laughs> so now when you were diagnosed, did you, did you try medication? Are you on medication? What's your experience been? Yes. So I am on medication. Like I, the first one I tried um, worked really well at first, but then it just like stopped working. And I was like, I'm having a hard time making myself move again. Like it's super hard to like get going. And so I switched and I'm still trying to figure out the nuances of it. Like make sure I eat, obviously try to avoid any vitamin C. And it, so it's like, I don't, I don't know. I think this is like the common thing for people with ADHD too. It's like, what is working and what isn't? Like how much is okay and how much, you know, like, I don't know. It's just, it's very confusing to figure out. I think that's an extension of that idea of like so many of feeling like there's so many factors at all times, you know, like even with motherhood, mm -hmm. like I remember always feeling like when I had babies and I had, and, and struggled with depression and anxiety and always feeling like 
I would try something and then be like, is this working? Is this not working? I don't know. There's so many factors. How am I supposed to be able to tell everything might be placebo? And then, then you're like, then it's like, or it's estrogen or like, you're just like, I don't. And then I'm just like, I'll just lie in the fetal position until it passes. Yeah. It's, there's a swarm. You're always trying to figure out like, is it enough? Is it not working? How much do I need to, do I need to ask for more? Like, so I'm still kind of figuring out, is it working well enough? And also just trying to figure out like what interventions work for me in daily life to make sure, like, like you said, like focus on this one task and stop thinking about the swarm that's over here all the time. And I think that's like, that's one good thing about diagnosis and following up with your provider is that they can help you part like piece together, whether or not the medication is helping or helping enough. Mm. And I think that's like something I talked to a patient about recently too, though, because he he or she was talking about some medication. Like, I can't tell if it's working. I'm like, well, that's why I'm here. I'm going to ask you questions. And I can like compare to what you said to me last time to see if it actually is making a difference. And they're like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Um, You know, it's funny because when I was on Celexa, so I was on an SSRI and Wellbutrin for a decade after my, uh, for postpartum depression and anxiety. And so, you know, mm-hmm. there was this constant conversation with my medical provider, which was like, I don't feel like it's working you know, at first it was the SSRI. I don't feel like it's working. Let's up the dose. Let's up the dose. Mm -hmm. And then it was like, I don't feel like it's working. Let's bring in this cocktail of another one, you know? And then I was sort of like, then it just became so complicated that I just wanted to get off everything to sort of rediscover what, what is my baseline, you know? And so, and so uh, there was always that feeling of like, if I feel, I feel miserable and I'm on antidepressants. So if I go off the antidepressants, imagine how much worse it'll be. You know, like, there was always this feeling like maybe they are helping. I'm just such a basket case that if I went off of them, I would be that much mm-hmm. worse. And so I would stay on them and I would have to do Like, it's so, just like you said, it's like so that, that, yeah, that feeling of like, is it too much? Is it not enough? What's going on? Is it placebo? Like, and so I went on medication and went off of it after two weeks because of that. I felt like that quest constant questioning of is it working is it not working was like interfering with my mental health and I was like I feel like mm-hmm. I might actually and I am not anti-medication by any means but I just like for me I feel like it's easier for me to just be on nothing and like start from that baseline <laughs> yeah the questioning mm-hmm. becomes it's it becomes too much for me it can become too much for for some and then you know there is like that idea too like as a provider like you can increase doses and still they're saying it's not working and you're like is it really not or they just can't really tell or it's just I mean for me because I have ADHD like I get confused too and I'm like what should I do should I and I think that's part of like my anxiety with with work it's like am I going to be able to help them am I going to be able to make a good decision about what to do with their medicines because it's like maybe they need an increase maybe they need a different medication maybe they need to just stop it and see what happens with that it's just like the constant anxiety spiral trying to trying to help people and I want to help people well but also there's this part of me that will hear people say like hey I've been on these medications and I still don't feel better and so it's like hmm something else is going on and I've actually like come across what the like what the answer might actually be for these when they say that like sometimes it takes me a while to figure out the answer but I'm like hmm then that means something else is going on. And I think that's something that you learn if you actually train in ADHD as a psychiatrist or even family is that if you have patients who are on like the antidepressants or anti-anxieties, 
but they're still have like, there's still stuff going on, even though like they're doing all these other interventions or they're going to therapy, like something else is happening and you should probably rule out ADHD. And so like that happens recently where a patient was talking about, you know, this is not working. And then I was like, have you ever been diagnosed with ADHD? He's like, yeah, as a kid. And I was like, oh, well, you're not like, don't outgrow it. are not going to be enough for you because there's a whole nother element that's playing into what you're, what's going on with you. And he's like, oh, that makes so much sense. And so I don't know. It's, it's a very confusing nuanced thing. And then when you have ADHD and like a field like psychiatry, it is, it can be like a little nerve wracking because you're always trying to like figure out if you're doing the right or the best thing right. for a patient, at least for me. I don't know about other ADHD. It must be, it must feel very meta a lot of the time. <laughs> yes. Well, and that's the other thing yeah. I ask a lot too, when I, when I hear women talk about how the medication has been life-changing or it's even just like, yeah, it's really working. And I'm like, what does that mean? How, working how? Because I don't even know what I'm looking for, you know? <laughs> I think that's part of it though. Like if you take medication and some of that like anxiety or overanalyzing kind of like dies down or you can be like, it's not a big deal. I'm going to figure it out. I'll know when I know if it's working, then it's probably working yeah. because- that's me. Like I can be very over, like overanalyze everything. And then the fact that I'm not overanalyzing as much, I'm not anxious about the end of the day, even though like I hate the end of the day because I'm like picking up my kids, making dinner, doing, you know, all this stuff. The fact that I'm not as anxious about that, the fact that I'm not overanalyzing things as much, or even if I am like, not sure what to do next, like, I'm not worried about that. I'm going to figure it out. I'm like, okay, that means it's probably working at least some, right? So that's a great point. And I do often feel like that's what the SSRI did for me when I had babies, which was like, rather than falling in a puddle of tears, anytime anything happened, like a, you know, a dish broke or something, I, it gave me the ability to just be like, dish broke, moving on, let's cope, you know, like it, so I used to always say like, it gave me the ability to cope. And so I've often, when I went on, on tried Vyvanse and really didn't notice much of a difference, I was like, I thought like maybe what I'm looking for is that feeling I used to have on an SSRI. And have I lost that feeling? I don't even know if I would get it, but like, again, I'm just like, yeah. so that's a great point that it's actually like, maybe all of this like manic questioning is what you need to treat with the medication. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, it's just so, it's just trying to figure out if medication does work and what will work best for you can be very exhausting. And we don't have patience for that, right? Either. So like, can be very impatient trying to like figure out something works or doesn't work yeah. and like switching medications. And that's just a hard to navigate and organize when you have ADHD too, when there's a lot going on. So I completely get that. And sometimes just like not even dealing with medication or just not being in that season to say, it's just not for me right now. It's just too much to too much. To, there's already enough in my head and I can't think about that. So I completely get, get the reason that people, don't want to try or don't like are not in that season to try. Yeah. And, you know, and then the, and then usually the medical provider is sort of like, well, treat it like it's a, like it's a vitamin or, you know, if somebody was on needed blood pressure medication, they wouldn't not go on blood pressure medication. And and so I'm often like, well, why is it so different with psychiatric medicine? And I think that's it. I think it's that idea of just like the, is it or 
is it working or isn't it working? Other medication, there's like really quantitative ways of knowing if it's working. And that mm-hmm. just doesn't exist when it comes to your mental state. And they state. work quickly. Yeah. And they work quickly. And then with like a lot of psych meds, they take time, can take two to four weeks. Well, stimulants, they take, they're supposed to work instantly. Right. But like other psych meds can take a few weeks to work. There's a lot of side effects associated with psych meds. Um, you, you don't really know what you're supposed to feel or not feel. You don't know if you're okay with certain side effects or if you want to stop it, if they bother you enough, like it's just a lot. And then like, you know, everybody's different and metabolizes medications differently. So you might have to try a bunch of different things and all you want to do is feel better. And so, <laughs> and so like having to have the patience to, to do that is really hard. And that's a conversation I have to have a lot with patients is like, I understand it's not fun. It's not easy having to just figure out what works and to be patient, you know, for it to actually kick in. But unfortunately, this is the only way it works. This is the only way. It's, yeah. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it for them. And I hate it for me too, but I don't, I wish there was a better answer. Right? I really do. <laughs> just keep, just keep your head down and tunnel through. <laughs> it's so hard. It's, it's, it's hard. <laughs> Hey friend, if there's one thing I've learned about ADHD over the last few years is that we can thrive with the right combination of accountability, planning, coaching, and peer support. Knowing all this, I set out to create the ultimate all-in-one coaching and accountability community for adults with ADHD or learning disabilities. I knew I couldn't do it alone, so I joined forces with one of my favorite ADHD coaches, Alex Gilbert of Capable Consulting, and together we launched the ADHD Lounge. The lounge was created as a safe place for neurodivergent adults away from other social media, where we offer live group calls, co-working and body doubling every weekday for accountability, focus, and skill development. We have weekly and monthly goal planning sessions to keep yourself on track. We also have one-on-one office hours with myself and Alex, and of course, friendship and lots of peer support. We have three different membership levels to meet you where you're at. So if you're looking for an affordable way to stay connected, productive, and accountable, while also having regular access to ADHD coaching and expertise, then make sure to come join me in the ADHDlounge.com. Again, that's the ADHDlounge.com. And as a listener of the Women in ADHD podcast, you can get 30% off your first month with the code PODCAST30. So head to the ADHDlounge.com and use the code PODCAST30 to get 30% off your first month. During the early days of my diagnosis, as I was deep into hyper-focus ADHD research mode, I kept searching for some kind of all-in-one, everything you ever needed to know about ADHD and women handbook that I could reference and keep at my fingertips, but I never really found anything that suited me. That's why I've taken everything I've learned about ADHD in women and adults who are socialized as girls, and I've gathered it into a concise, easy-to-access, self-guided, and self-paced course so you can feel like you've got everything you need at your fingertips. It's called, Hey, it's ADHD, and it has everything you need to start loving your brain and living a more fulfilling, gratifying life. I built this course to be helpful wherever you are on your ADHD journey. I am so excited to finally be able to offer this course, and I truly hope this will help you develop a deeper understanding of your ADHD brain and how to embrace it as you build yourself a toolkit for your own life. So head over to womenandadhd.com and click on the Hey, It's ADHD course tab for more information and to get started. So now what would you rename ADHD if you could, if you could come up with a different name for it that was a little less problematic for so many of us, what would you 
rather call it. I think I, I, think I wrote something down. What did I say? Oh, so there was this, um, I don't know if you follow live from snack time on Instagram. It's like, it's a, it's an Instagram site where, or page where like they post funny things that kids say. And some kids said something about dream thinkers or dream thinking or something. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's totally ADHD brain. Like dream thinkers. That's what should be. That's what should be called. But, um, you know, I don't know, like tornado brain i don't know that's how you know like when you're talking about about the buzzing bees like i always think about like twister the movie where is it the helen helen hunt character or whatever she's bonnie hunt they're not the same person but they look exactly the same and they're not related but anyway they she's like always want to know what the middle of a, a tornado looks like and she gets the chance she like straps herself to some like metal bar and like gets to like see what a tornado looks like inside and I feel like that's what my our brains are like. It's like what? It's just like tornado brain. Like there's like and no one really knows what we're going through unless you have this this thing. But I don't know. I asked my husband and he's like, I think that they should just take away disorder because what is order what is it order supposed to look like? Like there's no specific kind of order to the brain, you know? And I, and I can see that, like, I think in a way where we're kind of progressing into like, just thinking of it as a neurotype and not as like a different, like abnormal, it's just a neurotype. Right. It's just a type of brain. And I, I, I think I just like that better. Just think of me as a neurotype, but I don't know. I, know. I have this conversation with my therapist a lot because I, you know, when I was first diagnosed, of course I was like, this is a superpower. Oh my God. Everything good about my life is thanks to this one neurodivergence. And she was like, yeah, okay, slow down. And she was like, you still have to honor the fact that you really, really struggled, you know? And that was like, that's Mm -hmm. about that time of, you know, that's what we were talking about of like stopping and having that grief and realizing how hard you do have to work and how hard you did have to work. And you were too busy working to realize that this, that you are a square peg in a round hole and that society is not Mm -hmm. built for you and that that sucks. Mm -hmm. And so she was sort of like, it is a really important part of your identity to, to acknowledge that and to not like get swept away in the fact that this is a wonderful thing because it is really hard. And I feel like it can be dangerous Mm -hmm. if you don't acknowledge that. And I was like, yes, I get that. But at the same time, there is a part of me that, yeah, like it feels like in an ideal society, we would be no different than someone who's left-handed, you know, like there's just ways in which, yeah, it sucks because you can't always use scissors. And like, there's ways in which society is not made for you, (laughs) but it shouldn't, you know, if we can just work on society and not work on the individuals who have the disorder, yeah. like I totally get what he's saying in terms of like, yeah, there is the way in which we are kind of contributing to the stigmatization of of treating this like it's a medical condition and all of these things where it's like, no, it's it's a it's a subsect of society that are square pegs and we only have round mm-hmm. holes. And so it's the holes that need to be fixed, not the pegs. Yeah, exactly. It's like, get rid of, you know, like think outside of the box. And it's like, why do you even have the box? Like, right. <laughs> why do we, you know, and I think like, when do we, when are we, or will we get to the point where it, we don't even think twice about it and just people who are other abled, okay, well, like you already can like shift and be flexible for that person versus like we having to like, fit into 
an, you know, another space. Like we all kind of can sit and be in the same space and be flexible for each other. We all like, we're not, it's not so much like this other thing. Like we're just a part of the rest of society and it's easier for us to be understood and have what we need to accomplish what we want to accomplish. And also just like, not also, not just looking at behavior. I feel like if you're just looking at behavior, people look lazy or they look like they're not, you know, they don't want to pay attention and that's not the truth. And so I think that sometimes I feel like we could just throw the word behavior out and stop like talking about behavior by itself without recognizing like what's happening and behavior is a signal of something deeper, you know? So it's kind of annoying sometimes when ADHD is like called a like behavioral, neurobehavioral thing. Mm-hmm. It's, like, it's not behavior. It's what's happening in our brain that makes it look like behavior. If that makes sense. Right. It makes it look like we're not paying attention. Well, and yeah, and I think a lot of the, that, that tornado feeling and the buzzing and all of these kind of side effects of ADHD are the result of being put into systems that aren't helpful for you, you know? So it's even like the way in which you describe the symptoms of ADHD, those symptoms only exist because of our current environment. They might not. I mean, none of those, none of the negative side effects, none of that piece of shit syndrome feeling of all of those symptoms would exist if we lived in a, in a different imagined society. Like it's like Mm -hmm. inclusivity, you know, like I can understand why it didn't occur to you to put a wheelchair ramp next to the stairs because maybe it just didn't occur to you, you know, but once it does occur to you, if you still don't put that there, (laughs) then that's on you. Then you're the asshole, Mm -hmm. you know, because then it's like, um, you know, it's your job to be inclusive. And that's sort of like, that's our human Mm -hmm. existence. It's our job. Right. And so what is it about you that makes you say, I, I, it's now occurred to me and I still don't want to change and I still don't want to do that thing. Yeah, sure. I think that's what's happening for people who have these invisible disabilities. You know, it's like our bosses and you know, our schools are supposed to be understanding what ADHD or just like neurodiversity is and making accommodations for that, but they're not doing it. That's hard because it's like, like you said, like now, you know, you need the ramp and you're not putting the ramp there for, for your students or your coworkers to be successful. And that sucks. Oh my goodness. Ah, thank you. <laughs> yeah. I feel like it was rambles for like over an hour. I have no idea what I talked about. I know. But. That's why I love this podcast so much. It is literally <laughs> just like, it's just, it's just tangent and tangent after tangent. And I have so much fun. I love these conversations so much. And I love talking to people about talking to other women about ADHD. And I'm just like, I love it no, so no. much. And so the fact that it's like, that I put it out there and other people are listening to these and reacting strongly to them. I'm like, this is just, it blows my mind. Because... Yeah. I love it too. I love talking about it. Like it's changed my life. And I think it's just like, it's so interesting and like, so liberating too, but also so frustrating. Like there's so many aspects to ADHD and talking about it, but I could talk about it forever. Same. For sure. Oh, well, I'm so glad you agreed to talk with me today. And... Yes. Thank you for asking. All right. Well, thanks for sticking around. And as promised, I got to check in with Anna recently to find out how she's doing. So here's the update. Enjoy. Can you believe it's been two and a half years since this? Two and a half? 
two, but two and a half. Add the half in there. Oh my gosh. <laughs> wow. Well, it aired in April. So I think we talked a little bit before that. Um, so yeah, so basically I got to 150 episodes of, of interviews and I wanted to take a break and also was just looking back over this library and thinking about some of the episodes that really stayed with me uh, since the beginning of this crazy podcast journey and and just wanted to like reach out to some of the people who stayed with me and also check in with you and just be like what are you doing how what has changed and i feel like a lot has changed for you but also get a chance to thank you for the original interview that has really stayed with me i think i even talked at the time about how like that was one of the first interviews where i got up and had to run around afterwards <laughs> because it <laughs> yeah, was yeah i remember you remember you saying that i was like really little old me i don't get it but okay well, I went back and listened to it again recently, and I feel like it was really the first time, like that conversation with you was one of the first times we really talked about like the struggle of how do we know what the struggle even is? How do we articulate it for ourselves? How do we articulate it for other people? And I just felt like it was such a, it was just a really profound conversation for me at the time. So yeah. So thanks. Yeah. You're welcome. <laughs> so now since we've talked <clears throat> Sorry, I'm losing my voice today. Uh, since we talked, you've been diagnosed with autism, right? I think that was a big one. Well, self-diagnosed, <laughs> but I'm not officially diagnosed, but I'm pretty sure like I'm a PA and I'm a therapist. So I'm like, you know, pretty sure that I am. Well, it's funny because, you know, we talked a lot in the original interview about the difficulty of getting a diagnosis and how, you know, depending on where you are, it could be years in the making or years waiting for a diagnosis. And then in the U.S., I don't think we talked about this so much, but then there's like the done and, you know, some of the online diagnosing where a lot of people feel like you're getting fake diagnoses because they'll just give you whatever you want. So, you know, talking about di the difficulty of diagnosis, I thought it was interesting that both of us since that episode are now self-diagnosed with autism. Oh, really? You too? I am too, because I just feel like so much of the stuff I was talking about, so many of the autistic women who I've talked to and interviewed have said, yes, you have autism. And then I would talk about like, I would take these online tests and I was very much on the... Uh, it was always like very much like borderline. And I found that really, really frustrating because every single question felt misleading or felt like you could take it very different ways. And I, yeah. Right. And I felt, and whenever I would explain this to autistic women about how frustrating I found the tests, they were like, yeah, that's because you're autistic. And so, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's like, if you are like looking at a question and you have a million questions about the question, like that, it tells you me a lot in general. I think that's what autistic people do is like they see a question like that. I'm like, I don't get it. Like, what does that mean? I know, right? It's a, it all depends. Everything depends on have I eaten that day? Like, I don't know what I'm like, all of that. So right. it's been really interesting to think about that. But also, I find it fascinating that like getting an adult autism diagnosis, I think, is even more difficult and problematic in a lot of ways than getting an ADHD diagnosis at this point. Yeah, sure. So now you've also changed, or I guess you've, done more in work when we first talked you were a psych pa you've gotten really into somatic psychotherapy too right since we spoke yeah so i finally you know i think knowing now that i like the autism and adhd piece <laughs> it makes sense why it took so long for me to like finally get licensed as a therapist so I finally got licensed as a therapist last year in like january or february 
2022. And then I've always really been into like somatic kind of psychotherapy, but that's really kind of where I land with a lot of my clients. And I see a lot of neurodivergent people. And so it's really about like helping people, like you said, kind of give language to what's going on. It's like they know things don't feel right, but they don't really know how to give language to it. So I help them kind of land in their bodies and understand what they're feeling when they're getting dysregulated, you know, all that kind of good stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. I mean, I think that even just recognizing how important it is for us to have that language and how much of that language we lack, like even just talking about hormones and, and menstrual cycles and all of that, like there's so much there's so many variables all the time that it found it feels like very difficult to keep track. It feels very frustrating. And then I'm like, that feels like a very neurodivergent specific confusion all the time about like, what are we talking about? <laughs> and, and this desire to just like know everything because feeling like until I know everything, I'm not going to be able to really fully understand myself and who I am. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I was also curious because you've added uh, ketamine assisted therapy too. Is that uh KA, what is it, KAP? The Yeah. How's that? Um, it's good. I mean, I haven't really done a whole lot, but I am, you know, in the works of working with a clinic where I'll get to do a little bit more of that. Um, and just like very part-time where I get to get to assist people who are doing ketamine infusions and help them kind of work through their you know, depression, trauma, anxiety, all that good stuff. So I'm excited about it. And I think it fits well with the somatic and the experiential, like the body-based kind of stuff that I do and the mindfulness-based stuff, because it's really about like being internal and really understanding yourself. And so with with ketamine-assisted therapy, you are actually going through the experience with a client. How long are those sessions? Depends on the person. So usually anywhere from like 20 minutes to an hour usually is how long they're actually like in the trip, you know, like journeying. Um, just depends on how fast we metabolize it. So it depends on the person. What is the experience bringing up for people? Or like, what is the, I guess, what am I asking? What's the purpose? That's a good question. I guess it depends on what you're there for. So we always tell people to like come with an intention you know, what's your intention for the session? It could be like to understand my depression better or to help myself heal from depression or work through my trauma or something like that. And so it kind of helps, it's just kind of guides your mind to know what to do with the ketamine or otherwise you're just like tripping and like you have no, you know, like there's, there's no goal in mind. So I guess the thing about it is that like we are our own inner healers. We all have the capacity to heal. And so like ketamine and psychedelic therapy really help us to like find that inner healer to help us heal better. And it's really helps with people who have had like anxiety, depression, trauma, that's really just not budging with traditional medication or therapy. Mm. Do you, can you still do ketamine assisted therapy if you are taking psychotropic meds? Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. You can. Oh, okay. All right. See, again, there's like that gets back to this idea of like there's so many variables and in terms of what is and isn't working all the time. That's what frustrates me. Yeah, it's so it's so complex, right? Like we need so many different avenues. I think that's why I'm like very holistic. It's like, okay, sure. If you want to do traditional medications, great. If you want to do yoga, cool. If you want to do acupuncture, wonderful. You know, it's just like a lot of us need to have a variety of things to help us move through 
whatever it is we have. Like I'm a very anxious person. So, you know, I need a variety of methods to help me to work with my, through my anxiety and with it. Same. But I also have a tendency to throw 18 things at the wall at the same time and then never know what's actually working and what can be taken away. And then I get burnt out. Mm-hmm. Same. That's my cycle of healing. Um, so, and how old are your kids now? My kids are five and three, almost six and four. can't believe it. But uh, my five-year-old started kindergarten this year. That's exciting. And I'm very um, happy because you know, my five-year-old got diagnosed with autism and ADHD last year when he was four. He has a PDA, so pathological demand avoidance. And so I really wanted to find a school where he wanted to actually go because, you know, a lot of PDAers have school refusal and they don't want to go to school. So I found a great like public school that's also Montessori based. And so he's liking it. It's been week, this is week three and he's doing really good. So he's really excited to be there. So that makes me happy because usually he's like, I don't want to go to school. That's amazing. Oh, that's so great. Yeah. Awesome. And so now are you you have a private practice, bravery wellness? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Private practice. And so I do therapy and uh, coaching. Mostly see adults. And I see mostly, I feel like a lot of the neurodivergent people find me. <laughs> so I see a lot of neurodivergent adults, but you know, I work with trauma, relationship issues, anxiety, depression, postpartum, peripartum issues, things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. Well, that's cool. I just wanted to basically just check in and also get a chance to just, uh, you know, thank you for, for all the work you're doing and, and being so open to having these conversations. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I mean, you probably understand this, but it's like, I juggle a lot of things at once and like do too many things. It's like, I'm therapist. I'm a coach. I'm a PA. I'm also a yoga instructor now. <laughs> like Way too many things, but I enjoy it. <laughs> I, I feel like we do have a tendency to collect certifications as we go along because they're like obsessive learners, right? I mean, why not? Why not get certifications for things? We're just curious. We're just naturally curious. We just want to know. You know, like you said, like we need to know, we need to understand the thing before we can like accept it or move on sometimes, which is can be annoying. I know, but <laughs> it's just the way we are. Awesome. Well, I'm, I hope everything is going well with you and I'll make sure to put these updated links uh, in the show notes for the replay. But thanks, Anna. Thanks for checking in. Yeah. Well, what's new with you? Anything new with you? Oh, yeah, that's that reminds me. I was going to say I, uh, I, you were speaking at last year's ADHD conference. Are you speaking again this year? Uh, not that I know of. I haven't been asked. <laughs> no. <laughs> Are you speaking? Did you speak last year? No, I just went. I'm probably going to go again this year, but I'm, I'm not speaking. But I, I've gone back to school. I'm actually going back to school to be a licensed mental health counselor. Oh, awesome. You're joining the ring. Yeah. Uh, I know, right? It was, I think it was mostly because I was you know, coaching people, but also feeling like I was most interested in talking about all of the trauma and the fascinating stuff and less about the coaching. <laughs> I was like, I feel like they're so intertwined. I feel like they go hand in hand so much that I just felt like I, I would feel better having that training and that certification behind me because I felt like I was often wanting to go into those waters but also feeling like this is unethical so I was like just give me a few years and so that's what I'm doing 
Nice. Awesome. Yeah, there's definitely a fine line between like the coaching and the therapy. So that's a tough one. But that's awesome. Congrats. Yeah. Well, and I also feel like I, I don't know about you, but I feel like I meet a lot of women who are very dismissive of therapy, women who were diagnosed in adulthood, who had a negative experience of therapy. And I just find that so tragic. So, but they're, you know, it is really like, it's kind of learning a language. Like just, I feel like there are a lot of therapists out there who don't really understand the experience of an adult diagnosis. And I feel like we could be helped by having, I'm going to add one more to the mix, hopefully, who who kind of understands what this feels like. No, I think we need more people who really understand ADHD and autism and all of that, all the neurodivergent stuff and can be supportive to people because that's where I feel like we're lacking a lot of support uh, for people who are neurodivergent and for people to believe them with, about their struggles too. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like we talked a lot about that in the, in the earlier episode um, about that idea. We were talking about like that urge to switch bodies with somebody with <laughs> to be like, are you really feeling this pain or are you just complaining more? Mm-hmm. Um, and that idea of like, how much am I struggling? Right? Like, what am I getting, what am I making do with and what am I, or where do I need accommodations? What, when do I need to ask for help versus this I, constant idea of like, Oh, just keep your head down, tunnel through stiff upper lip, all of that. Yeah. yeah. Will I see you in Baltimore? Probably not. <laughs> I'm broke. So no. Unless they ask me to come for some reason. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a lot. The last year was the first year I went and it was, it was a lot. I was like, it was a lot. I felt like I, I, yeah, I spent a lot of time in the fetal position in my hotel room. Yeah. Another precursor to an autism diagnosis. <laughs> yeah. I mean, conferences, I, I nearly burnt out after like a PA conference several years ago. And so now I'm like really scared of conferences because I like would go every day for every session and I almost died. Like felt like I was going to die because there's just so much, you know, information. So I try to be very like strategic now with conferences and like, don't try to go to everything. Take it very easy because it's so easy to get overwhelmed and overstimulated with all the stuff that's going on. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you again. It was nice to check in with you. Hope everything is well. You too. Keep in touch. Um, I'll try. I <laughs> I feel like uh, I know. I feel like I'm kind of left social media and have had a been mostly just like in my own world right now. Yeah, um, I get it. Like I don't do much social media, and I'm not very good at keeping up with people. It's just too overwhelmed most of the time. So. But I do like as as ships in the as ships passing. I like being like, hey, yeah, yeah, totally. That's <laughs> fine. That's very legitimate because it's not easy to keep up with people. <laughs> right? Yeah. Well, take care. Thanks again. Thanks. Have a good day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye. There you have it. Thank you for listening, and I really hope you enjoyed this episode of the Women and ADHD podcast. If you'd like to find out more about me and my coaching programs, head over to womenandadhd.com. If you're a woman who was diagnosed with ADHD and you'd like to apply to be a guest on this podcast, visit womenandadhd.com slash podcast guest, and you can find that link in the episode show notes. Also, you know we ADHDers crave feedback, and I would really appreciate hearing from you, the listener. Please take a moment to leave me a review on Apple Podcasts or Audible. And if that feels like too much and I totally get it, please just take a few seconds right now to give me a five-star rating. 
or share this episode on your own social media to help reach more women who maybe have yet to discover and lean into this gift of neurodivergency. And they may be struggling and they don't even know why. I'll see you next week when I interview another amazing woman who discovered she's not lazy or crazy or broken, but she has ADHD. And she's now on the path to understanding her neurodivergent mind and finally using this gift to her advantage. Take care till then. Okay, before we get started with today's episode, have you heard the awesome news? Llama Life now has an iOS app so you can take it with you wherever you go. I have been using Llama Life consistently on my computer for a year now. A year! That's unprecedented. That's like a lifetime in ADHD terms. And now with the new iOS app, I'm able to seamlessly transition between my computer and my iPhone so that my favorite little productivity coach is with me whenever I need it. So what is so special about Llama Life? Well, for starters, it's not a fancy new calendar or planner or complicated productivity management system. It's a time-boxing, single-tasking program that easily integrates with your already existing organizational systems. If you're like me and you struggle with time blindness or maintaining focus throughout your day, then this is the app for you. I love Llama Life because it's simple, effective, and beautifully designed. And dare I say, it makes even the most mundane chore more fun and colorful. If you want to check out the iOS app for yourself, head to the App Store for a free trial and start enjoying that Llama Life for yourself.